G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations, Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. In human relationships, it's not only important to greet someone when you come, but to also greet them appropriately when you go. In today's program, we're going to see that this kind of benediction brings blessing now and always. Our series is entitled Heartfelt and Inspired, Understanding 2 Corinthians, a verse-by-verse commentary. Well, guess what, friends? We are in the very last verses of 2 Corinthians, chapters 13, verses 7 to 14. It's not the last lesson. We always have a summary at the end of each Understanding the Bible series, but it is the last of the verse-by-verses. So, let's make the most of it. What we have here is Paul giving a benediction, basically a closing blessing. And what he gives is what I call a triune benediction, because here he outlines the triunity of the Godhead. We'll learn more about that down the track, but it's basically he's invoking the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is a very strong Trinitarian formula. Remember, as Christians, we only believe in one God, but we also believe there are three persons in the Godhead. And this is not a New Testament innovation. The possibility of plurality in the Godhead comes straight out of the Old Testament. One God for sure. But if there wasn't plurality of persons in the Godhead, then why does God say in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image? He doesn't say, I'm going to make man in my image, but I'm making man in our image. Or why does it say in Psalm 110 and verse 1, the great messianic psalm, which is actually talking about not only Messiah, but of his coming to earth and ruling with a rod of iron. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, your footstool. Important point, because after all, Jesus quotes that very verse to his detractors, and they are stumped that the Lord speaks to the Lord, and he's sitting at the right hand. And we know that something like 17 times in the Bible, it talks about Messiah, Christ, being at the right hand of God. So, no, there is one Lord, there's one God, there's one faith, one baptism. At the same time, the mystery of the Godhead is there's three in one. And Paul uses that in the very last verse here of 2 Corinthians 13. That's verse 14. After speaking about the truth, and we can't do anything against the truth, but for the truth, and then Paul has a prayer that the people at Corinth may be complete, and that he writes these things. So now, to soften them so he doesn't have to use sharpness of speech when he does come the third time. But let me read to you 
three or four verses. Verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 13. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. As always, the apostle gives practical application. If we do these things that he says, we'll be fine. So what are we supposed to do? Be complete, which is another way for perfect. Be comforted and also be a comforter to others. God is with you. He's taking care of business. Be of one mind. Don't be schismatic. Live in peace. Do those things and the God of peace shall be with you. It also goes on to say, verse 13, all the saints salute you. That obviously includes Macedonia and everywhere else where the universal church is found. Then comes this formula, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Now, friends, you can't get a better finish than that one. Grace of God through Jesus Christ, the Son, the love of God, which is the greatest force in the universe, God is love, and the communion or fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen and amen. We're going to now look at this passage in greater detail. So I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians 13, verses 7 to 14. Again, that's 2 Corinthians 13, 7 to 14. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with an holy kiss. All the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. This is 2 Corinthians 13 verses 7 to 14. First of all, this lesson is entitled, A Triune Benediction. Let's begin with verse 7, that it says, I pray to God that you do no evil, and that we should appear approved, though, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. Okay, so what is this? Paul prays to God that the Corinthian church do no evil, and thus Paul need not do evil in whacking them with his apostolic rod, all right? It's not actually evil to discipline. He's just using a figure of speech. Because certainly, if he comes to visit them, and he has to visit in the full force of his authority, it will seem like evil, even though it's all for their good. That's why the point is not that the apostle looks good. The point is that the Corinthians will do what is honorable, making it appear that we are disqualified. All right, again, he's using figures of speech that may not always be so clear, but the fact is, if they are qualified, they have done the right thing, they have repented, they're doing the first works and the spirit of the first love there in the church at Corinth, then it'll make Paul look disqualified, especially if he tries to come on heavy with them and he doesn't, or simply he just comes for a visit. But then we move on to something extremely important. It has to do with our relationship with the truth. 
Our relationship with the truth. Paul says we, meaning the apostles, can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Friends, we all give lip service to truth. Even those that live a lie will say they're committed to truth. Because after all, truth, in my estimation, at least in the Western world and probably much of the rest of the world too, truth is a motherhood issue. Of course, we should be committed to truth. Of course, truth is a good thing. Of course, we believe in truth. Of course, we tell the truth. People say that even when they're lying through their teeth. And sometimes even those that attend church are lying through their teeth as well. I cannot stress enough how serious the issue is between truth and falsehood or truth and lies. John chapter 8 makes it very clear. The devil is a liar and he's a father of lies and that when we persist in lying, we are certainly not acting like a child of God, but more like the child of the devil. That's how serious this is. In John 8, Jesus is more or less saying that lying is the devil's mother tongue. Now think about it. English is the mother tongue of 450 million people around the world. English is a second language, or it is a language spoken by one-third of all humanity. It is truly the international language, and I think that's great. Lying also, though, can be an international language. It is the language of the world, it's the language of the devil, and it's the language of death and hell itself. It's really that serious. The whole reason we commit ourselves to the gospel is because the gospel is truth, God's truth. The reason we commit ourselves to the Bible as the word of God, that every word of God is pure and it does bring benefits, is because the word of God is truth, as John 17, 17 affirms. When we have truth, we are on God's territory, we are in the light, we have life in God, and we have the love of God fully flowing in us. Whenever we side with lying and deception, spin, mendacities, half-truths, misleading talk, even though it looks like it's truthful, we are straying into dangerous territory. Paul is affirming truth here in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 8. Let me put it to you this way. As apostles filled with God's Spirit and committed to His Word and Gospel, we as apostles cannot oppose or stop the truth. We cannot do anything against the truth. We would be fools, idiots, scoundrels if we tried to do otherwise. So instead, everything we say and everything we do can be trusted because we serve the gospel of Christ and the Word of God through the Holy Spirit and the Lordship of Jesus. All these things, Lordship of Jesus, Holy Spirit, gospel and Word of God, are dependable, trustworthy, absolute truth. Everything we do is to affirm and build on that truth, not to take it away. So my testimony regarding the gospel is also true, and you will be perfectly safe if you will abide in that truth. Now that is a pretty strong statement, but you know what? It's a very true statement. It represents what God stands for, his light, his love, his life, in cameo form. God is light, God is truth, God is everything. And apostolic ministry 
as well as all genuine ministry, is committed to the truth of the gospel and the word. We can't do anything to stop it. It's going to happen. What we do is flow with it and facilitate it into the lives of those to whom we minister. You can trust the Bible, friends. I believe it's inerrant and infallible. Not everyone does, but I do. And the more I teach God's word and walk with the Lord, the more I'm convinced it is so. Remember, the God of the Bible is powerful. He can do anything. And therefore, he can not only inspire his word through humans, like the Apostle Paul or like the prophets or like other apostles, not only can he inspire his word, he can protect his word. And indeed, he does watch over his word to perform it, to imply that somehow God's word has been tampered with or that you cannot trust it or that it has lies in it and will mislead you is really an indictment against God himself. Now, he again and again, Scripture affirms that it's from God, that it is complete, that it is true, and the same with the gospel, of course, which is found in the Scripture. When you put your trust in what you read in God's Word, I'm am fully confident you will have no regrets. Oh, yeah, you'll be put to the test, and you'll have some prayers with answers that are delayed, and, you know, you'll have, you know, sometimes crazy things will still happen, thorn in the flesh, but When you put your trust in God, you will never be put to shame. And that trust is found in his word. I can say more, but time moves on. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 9. The goal is your perfection. We are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we wish even your perfection. Now, perfection means you're complete and whole. And in due course, you will be absolutely, utterly sinless, or you'll be completely sanctified when Jesus comes. But this is Paul's goal. There's nothing in it for him. All he cares about is for their perfection, because again, an apostle in this case is like the father figure. Verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 13, therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not to destruction. Pretty simple here. What is Paul saying? He's writing to them from a safe distance. I'm giving you the threats now in writing in this epistle so that you will take note and repent. And therefore, when I come, there will be no need for me to use sharpness or to have to mop up. I want the authority I have as an apostle to be used for you to build you up and to not tear you down. This power should not be used for your destruction. Therefore, give the word of the Lord your full cooperation, and there will be no regrets. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Finally, brethren, farewell. It is time to end the epistle. Paul wishes them to farewell, to be perfect or complete, to have wholeness in their lives, to be of good comfort. And I would prefer that you be comforted, rather than to be anxious. I also give you a call to be of one mind, not schismatic like you were in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, being of Apollos or of Paul or of Christ. I want you to live in peace, one with another, as well as with myself and the apostles. And to live in peace is a decision to surrender to God and to flow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Do these things, and the God of love and peace will be with you. 
Now that is a great promise. If the God of love and peace is with you, friend, you have it made. Nothing you face in life is going to pull you down. Anything you face in life will be leveraged by God to put you in a higher and better place. Then it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And all the saints greet you. And then there's the triune benediction. And by the way, it talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit or communion of the Holy Spirit, koinonia or koinonia. This is a very popular Greek word that's used in English Christian circles, which means fellowship, caring, and sharing. We've learned about this before, but it bears repeating. Now, what I'm going to do is, even though these are the last verses of 2 Corinthians, and they're scheduled to be spoken or taught on, I'm going to save these for the last and final lesson, which is our next one. You don't want to miss it, friends, for the world. So remember this. Our lesson is entitled A Triune Benediction, but our lesson for life is heed the word of the Lord now and enjoy the benefits now and forever. Let me rephrase it this way. Heed the word of the Lord now with its truth, its authority, its light, and you will reap the benefits both now and forever. Remember to visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations Education, and thank you for liking our page. You can also go to our homepage to subscribe to the free monthly Issachar Teaching e-letter, which will help you to become future-ready through articles on Scripture, victorious living, and current events in the light of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace that is found in 2 Corinthians, particularly what we've read today in chapter 13, that we are to fare well, that we're to live in peace, and many other such injunctions. Help us, Father, to see that your word is truth, it's powerful, it lives forever, and when we heed it, we are exceedingly blessed. For this we praise you in Christ's glorious name. Amen. Today's On The Rock was brought to you by Teach All Nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, to download podcasts, view our online store, attend special events, sign up for our teaching newsletter, make a donation to support this ministry, or to invite Dr. Camille to speak, log on to www.tan.org.au or write to us at Post Office Box 493, Mount Waverley 3149. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.